What is up, everybody? How you doing today? Hey, uh, the synth is still synthing. <laughs> um, hey, it is so good to see you guys today. I love you. I see you really clear today. Really, really clear. Um, my, my daughter this morning said, Dad, are those glasses just for show? And I said, no, they're not, buddy. I need them to read. She needs them all the time. She's blind as a bat if she doesn't have glasses on. I need them to read. And today we're starting a brand new series on mere Christianity. And there's all these amazing quotes that I'm going to be reading today. And the Bible I know. So like once I start reading, I know what I'm doing. But these quotes, I have no clue. So I'm wearing my glasses today, y'all. So um, this is going to be this is going to be fun. I just want to thank you guys so much for whoever came out, all of you who came out yesterday to the baseball game. It was so much fun. Had a blast hanging out with you guys. Um, it was really a great time. I was outside giving out tickets to the people who were coming, you know, from our church, and and I heard them start to name all the names of the churches that were there, and they were, you know, saying such and such Baptist church and such and such Episcopalian church and such and such Presbyterian church and Lifeco. And when they said Lifeco, you could hear everyone from outside. You could hear everyone screaming and cheering, and I was like, yes. Um, so it was just so cool. So thank you guys. We, we had a blast. Um, our team won, which men won, which is pretty awesome. I only know that because my five-year-old told me that at the end of the game. She said, Dad, we won. And I was like, awesome, that's great. And then we watched fireworks, and that was pretty cool. But we're going to have another opportunity, if you missed that, to represent LifeCo and to hang out and get out into our community. And that is September 25th. All right, drum roll, please. We are hosting uh, the Kid Zone at Chesterfest, which we, yeah. <laughs> which we used to do as a church forever ago. Um, we're, we're, we're bringing it back this year. I don't know if we'll do it in future years, but we're doing it this year. We're gonna represent as LifeCo at Chesterfest. And in previous years, they had eight, 10,000, something like that, people that would come through there we want to get out into the community, introduce ourselves as LifeCo, invite people to come to church. It's going to be awesome. And so you can sign up today to be a part. If you go to christianlife.info slash Chesterfest, you can sign up to serve that day. I would love for you to be there and help us represent our church well to our community. If you would, that would be amazing. Um, also, we have a prayer and worship night on August 20th that I want to invite you to at 6 p.m. right here. August 20th, 6 p.m., Right here, we're going to be praying for the upcoming season. I believe that, um, you know, there's scares of COVID's coming back and this is happening and this is happening. You know, all this stuff, it's, it's going to get bad again. Um, I learned my lesson last time, putting my foot down and I'm standing in faith. Like I learned my lesson last time. Are there things to worry about? Are there things to be cautious of? Yes, but guess what? We're going to be faith-filled people, not fear-filled people. And so we've done this, we've gone around this tree before, I'm not gonna go around it, around and around and around, over and over and over, fear, fear, fear. Listen, if we let the devil win, like if we let him distract us and get us off focus and stop moving forward as a church because, oh, fear over here and fear over there, he's just gonna keep doing it over and over and over and over again. We're not scared, we're moving forward, we're believing in faith, we're gonna use wisdom, we're gonna be cautious, we're gonna, we're gonna be aware of what we need to be aware of, but we're gonna stand in faith. We're gonna be faith-filled people. So um, come pray with us on August 20th. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Um, okay, so today I am starting this new series on mere Christianity. Now, 
Kyle, shouldn't we be preaching the Bible? This is not the Bible. This is a book written about the Bible. Um, I want to preach this book. I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach from the Bible as well, but I'm gonna teach from this book over the next four weeks, mainly because I believe that our society is doing a thing right now that is so dangerous. Um, we have walked so far away from what Christianity is that even Christians don't know what Christianity is sometimes. Um, Chesterton says there's two ways to get home. The first is to stay there, and the second is to go all the way around the world until you come back to your house. And what he's saying is, like, it's better if you just stay there. But if you're going to leave, like, you need, to, you need to almost forget and then relearn to come back home. And I think that our society has forgotten what Christianity is, that even Christians are at some weird place where we don't even really know what Christianity really is. So Mere Christianity was originally a series of talks that C.S. Lewis gave on a radio, BBC radio in the UK, uh, during the war and after the war. He gave, uh, World War II that is, he gave these, um, these brilliant talks, brilliant talks on mere Christianity. And he broke these talks into five sections. They're kind of five books, and he wrote it into a book, and that book is called Mere Christianity. The premise of the book is that he's going to walk you to Christianity without even using the Bible. And so he's going to, what he's going to do over the course of the book is he's going to use reasoning, and he's going to use just normal conversation to, to walk you and teach you through to get you to Christianity without opening the Bible. Um, one thing, if I can just be a nerd for a second, I have my glasses on, so you got to let me be a nerd today, okay? If I can be a nerd for a second. Um, in the Reformation, in where Martin Luther wrote the, 95th, the 95 Theses and attached them to a wall, and now we have the Protestant Church, we have the Protestant Church broke off from the Catholic Church, and in the Reformation, there was one idea that was so good, I'm, I'm so glad that it happened, and that is that uh, scripture had been, by the Catholic Church, it had been put on the same level as anything the Pope said, which history or tradition, scripture, and kind of natural reasoning were all put on the same pedestal. And they treated the Pope as if the Pope was every bit as inspired by God as scripture was. And Martin Luther said, time out, that's not right. Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Scripture is infallible, but man is fallible. So like, that's not right. And so the good thing that happened is in the Reformation, we elevated scripture to its proper place. The bad thing that happened, and yes, there was a bad thing that happened, is we forgot, like, the, the two things on the other side of scripture, we just completely got rid of. Like, we got rid of reason, and we got rid of tradition as a church. Like, we just threw it all out. So if it's old, it's bad, it's wrong, it's, it's just the plain reading of scripture, no one can help, no one can help me understand scripture, and I think that's a really dumb idea. I think that the fathers of the church who went before us have, have worked hard at teaching in the correct way. The, very, the early fathers were, um, they were crucified, some of them upside down. They were crucified. They were martyred for what they were teaching. And if they were such sticklers about how they were teaching and what they were teaching, then like, I want to learn from the church fathers who went before. I want to learn from the people who went before. I don't want to throw that out. I'm not going to elevate it to God's status, but I am going to learn from it. Are you tracking with me? 
But reason is the other thing. If I could say it this way, when we're on our bicycle, scripture, that's the main wheels. That's the main wheels. That is what makes a bike. But we got these two little training wheels on the back that keep us from falling over. And it's reason and it's tradition. It's tradition, and I don't mean tradition like everything anyone's ever said is right, but what I mean is learning from those who went before us. Chesterton said, I believe in the democracy of the dead, which is giving the dead a vote and learning from history. If they thought baptism was a good idea, I think baptism is a good idea. If they thought communion was a good idea, I think communion's a good idea. Is everyone following me here? So we got these two little training wheels, reason and tradition, and they can help us keep straight on our journey of scripture. They can help us make sure that we're, we're going in a straight path. C.S. Lewis is going to get people to Christianity and mere Christianity through reason. He's just going to say, let's just use our brains for a second and let's get to Christianity. And so what I want to do is I want to preach this book over the next four weeks. And I want to, I want our church to relearn Christianity. I want us to relearn what it means to be a Christ follower. I want us to relearn what it means to follow Jesus. And so some of the stuff that I might say to you today is like, okay, it's really basic, Kyle, that's really, but I gotta tell you, we live in a world where basic truths, basic truths are questioned every single day. And uh, to quote this guy a third time this morning, uh, Chesterton says, he says that, um, he says that if you want to destroy a society, what you need to, or you know that it's a society is being destroyed when you get to the place where arguing basic facts or basic facts become questionable. For instance, the grass is green. Well, is it really green? The sky is blue. Well, is it really blue? And I got to tell you, I feel like that's where we are as a society right now. Basic facts are questioned every single day. Um, my, my wife's a nurse. And I watch in the medical field how the medical field has to respond to some of the stuff that happens in society and what do they do and what do they not do? It used to be when a baby was born, you said it's a boy or it's a girl. But now our society is arguing over basic facts of whether this is a boy or whether it's a girl. And so I'm looking at the medical field, like what is the med medical field gonna do, right? Because the medical field, like they need to be accurate with what they say. And, if someone comes into the, into the hospital, they need to know, is this a man or a woman? Because you treat them differently sometimes with different medications or different things you need to be aware of. And so, like, the medical field's like, we can't get rid of these categories because this is basic fact and basic truth. But yet our world is constantly arguing about, is this, are you tracking with me? And so when we've gotten to a place where basic facts are arguable, we're in a dangerous place. And I think we got to relearn Christianity because I really genuinely believe that Jesus um, and the church that he founded are the answer to the world that we live in. I really believe it. I really believe that it does not matter who is in office, who is in power, whether we're in a dictatorship, whether we're in a free country or a, or a, or, or a dictatorship. I don't think it Literally, the church of Jesus was designed to live in any environment, in any situation, in any, throughout any point in history, and be the answer for the world. And so if we like, let this go, if we let Christianity go, man, our world's in trouble. But if we stand on truth, then we can be kind of the ark in the flood, if I could say it that way. 
a safe place for people to find refuge. And so I wanna talk to you today from book one of Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity is broken into five books. Don't worry, the books are like that big, okay? Um, But I wanna talk to you from book one. By the way, this book is available in the lobby. If you wanna pick it up, you can buy it on your way out. It's the same price as Amazon, but you don't have to wait. Praise Jesus. So I am gonna read two scriptures right off the bat. Um, These are not from the book, but I wanna read these right off the bat because we are Christians in this room, and I want you to hear this. Um, Romans 1, 18 to 20 says, for the wrath of God, that's a good place to start, isn't it? For the wrath of God, aren't you already encouraged? is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is what we were just talking about. By their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Before I even completely unpack this, the premise of what Paul is saying here is that you don't have to know scripture to know about God. You don't have to know scripture. Now scripture is the revealed truth of God, but you don't have to know scripture to know because what he's saying here is what can be known about God is plain to them. They can see it in the things that he's created, so they are without excuse. In other words, even before scripture came, your own natural reasoning, your own experience of the world points to God. Romans 7, 13 through 16 says this, did that, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do do not do uh, what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. I love this line right here. For I do not understand my own actions. My, My cousin, Blake and Allie, they have, they have a little boy, his name is Landon. Don't ever name your son Landon. They will be crazy. <laughs> I don't know any Landon who isn't crazy. Um, my brother-in-law is Landon, he's psycho. He's lost his mind. He's actually really funny. And my cousin's son, right, Landon. And he is hilarious and he is funny and he is wild. He has a, he has a system, by the way, and I wanna introduce you to it. It is serve one, attend one, sleep one, okay? <laughs> So serve a service, attend a service, sleep a service. You're all invited to do so, okay? Um, so you'll see him next service right here on the front row. But Landon, uh, Landon has an older sister, Carrie, and she was saying something to him one day, and he said, he said, Carrie, leave me alone. You don't understand what's going on in my life right now, and neither do I. Paul is saying, you don't understand what's going on in my life, and neither do I. He says, for I don't understand my own actions. Come on, let's just be honest for a second. If we're all honest with ourselves, I don't understand what's going on in my life right now. There's stuff I want to do, and I don't do it, and there's stuff I don't want to do, and I end up doing it, right? 
Let's get into mere Christianity. Erase all scripture from your head for a second, and he's, we're just gonna get there through reason. Have you ever heard people arguing before? Have you ever been married? <laughs> if you've been married, you've heard people arguing. Um, at the root of every argument, if you listen to people argue, it's really funny. If you're not in the argument, it's fun to watch. If you are in the argument, it's extremely hard and bothersome, right? But if you're not in the argument and you're just watching, it's fun to watch because you see people arguing about stuff where they're appealing to some type of code or law that everyone's supposed to know. For instance, I watch my two daughters. I, I see them do this all the time. My two daughters, stories five, scout is two. We made a huge mistake and moved them into the same room last night. So they now share a bedroom and they have a playroom together. And I think we're probably gonna regret it. But um, when you listen to them argue, I was here first, that's mine. I gave you some of my chocolate milk, you give me some of your chocolate milk, right? They're appealing to some type of code that even a two-year-old and a five-year-old know inherently. And if you listen to a young person do it, or if you listen to an old person do it, you can go to a nursing home today to visit somebody and hear the exact same arguments. You can, you can, you can go be, you can go serve someone who's at the very end of their life, hospice care, and hear the exact same arguments. So what is this? There, there seems to be some type of code or law or way of being that all of us agree exists, but like none of us know how it got here. Um, if I could say it this way, we should. We should. I should do this, or I should do that, or I should not do this, or should not do that. C.S. Lewis is British, so he would say, you ought. You ought to do this. You ought not to do that. I should or I shouldn't do this. If you listen to people argue, you listen to them should all over each other. That's what you hear. <laughs> That's what they do. They're just shooting all over each other. <laughs> you should do that. You should not do that. It's a law that is in us that we cannot get rid of. There's some standard. Um, so you could say, okay, well, this law is just instinct. It's just people behaving in some evolutionary way that's beneficial for society. It's just instinct. It's just instinct. Um, we tend to think of instinct like something that's just bred into us that we behave this way or we don't behave this way. But the problem... We know it's not instinct because there's all kinds of instincts that are often in conflict with each other. When you are driving down the road and someone cuts you off in traffic, your instinct is not what you should do. Are you tracking with me? You might let someone know with your words or with your hands or with one finger. You might let someone know how you feel about them cutting you off. Your instinct is actually not to do the thing you should do. Human instincts are in conflict with this law. They are not the law. They are in conflict with the law. C.S. Lewis says that, um, let's, let's take something as instinctual as sex, for instance. He says uh, sex is an instinct, it's a desire, it's, a, it's an instinct. 
But this should, this law, is telling us when it's appropriate to engage in that activity and when it's not appropriate to engage in that activity. And uh, when, when, it, when, in fact, it's harming another person or when, you know, there's rules, there's, there's guidelines to this. And it's not just behaving in, uh, in, a, in an urge or in a manner that's instinctual. There's some code or law that even governs the instincts themselves. So it's not instinct, it's something beyond instinct. Um, number two, uh, objection to the idea that there's a moral law is that while different civilizations in different ages have, they have behaved quite differently. They have had different moralities. And C.S. Lewis says that's not true. Um, people have had slightly different moralities, but they haven't had majorly different moralities. I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. Men have differed over who they should be unselfish to, or who they should prefer above themselves. But they have never differed that um, you should be unselfish. Like, I, I might say, I only prefer my family, or I prefer my family and my neighbors, or I prefer my family, my neighbors, and my country above myself, or I prefer the world above myself. But we always agree that the person who prefers themselves above themselves, that's like someone that you don't wanna be around. We all agree that selfishness is messed up, that it's wrong, that there's something about it that's wrong. Another example he gives is he says, we, uh, men have differed throughout history on whether they should have one wife or five wives, but they've always agreed that you shouldn't just have any woman that you want whenever you want her. There's rules, there's, there's morality, there's some type of governing morality, and so, there is, an, there is an instinctual uh, um, uh, thing that we have, but even those instincts are governed by something that goes beyond. So we have desires, we have wants, we have needs, but, the, but this law informs us when I need to let my need go for the sake of somebody else or, or, or vice versa. So there is this moral law, there is this should, if I could say it that way, but we don't. There is a should, but we don't, humans don't do the should. None of us are keeping the law. We have failed to practice the very behavior that we expect other people to practice. In one second, I can watch Story arguing with Scout and say that's not fair, and the very next second, I can see her being unfair to her sister. I can appeal to you that you're supposed to do it, but when it's my turn to do it, I don't do it. Um, in fact, when someone tells us that we're not living up to the standard, we tend to make excuses, don't we? Well, you don't understand. I know I told you I was going to pay you, but I didn't pay you because I had, you know, some horrible thing happened in my life. And we start making excuses of why it's okay that we didn't follow through with what we said we were going to do. Or I know I promised that to you, but I didn't know that you were going to be a jerk when I promised you that, right? I know I said those vows to you, but I didn't know who you really were when I said those things to you, right? What we do is we try to, we try to give a reason or an explanation of why I get to be let off because you actually are breaking the law too, right? I get to be let off because you're actually breaking the law too. But here's, here's the crazy thing. Even the excuses prove that there is a moral law. Even the excuses. If there was no moral law, why the excuse? C.S. Lewis says this, he says, the truth is we believe in decency so much we feel the rule of law pressing on us so 
that we cannot bear to face the fact that we're breaking it, and consequently we try to shift the responsibility. For you notice that it is only for our bad behavior that we find all these explanations. It's only for our bad temper that we put it down to being tired or worried or hungry. We put our good temper down to ourselves. Everything good we do, we say it's us, and everything bad we do, we say, nope, not me, that's not me, that's not me. Um, I am gonna, I am gonna use a scripture here. Uh, Romans, I, not, to, not to try to teach you, I, I'm, I'm gonna try to follow what Lewis did and get you there through reason, but what I'm trying to say right here is that Paul agrees with what Lewis is saying right now. He says, I don't do the things that I wanna do and the things that I hate are the very things that I do, right? So we should, but we don't. That's thought number one here today is we should, but we don't. If I can recap this section, he says, human beings believe that they should, but we don't. And these are the two facts that all foundation of the universe and un like understanding about the world and the universe hang on these two facts. We, we can't understand about life if we don't accept these two truths for a second. We, can't, we should, but we don't. We should, but we don't. So thought number two, what lies behind the should? What lies behind the ought? What lies behind the you should do this? What lies behind the moral law? There are two or three different ideas. Number one is the materialist view, which is the... Um, the atheist or the naturalist or the person who says there is no God, they say that matter has always existed, the word, like uh, matter that created the universe has always existed and it just came to be and that is what it is. We live in a world of matter. We live in a world create, uh, that just kind of spontaneously happened. Um, and then there's a religious view that what is behind the universe is more like a mind. It has purposes, it has preferences, it has plans. It created the universe and is giving us similar faculties that we also have minds because the thing that created the universe has a mind or is a mind. Um, and then the third view is this life force view. And that is that the small variations um, in evolution, let's say we evolved and the small, evolu the small evolutionary changes that brought about the world are driven by some type of life force that is kind of driving or guiding the universe. And Lewis says the problem with this view is, does this life force have a mind? Because if it does have a mind, you just stepped into the religious view. And if it doesn't have a mind, and there's no purpose and there's no plan, then now you're back into the materialist view and you've just tried to help figure out where life came from, but you're right back to a materialist view of no purpose, no plan, no, there, there's no preference. There's no God with a preference or a plan or a purpose for the world. Obviously, as Christians, we follow a religious view, but C.S. Lewis says, don't make the mistake of believing that these views um, have changed throughout society. So there's some people who think the religious view is the first view that we had, and then the materialist view is what we learned through science. Come on, everyone loves science today, right? Everyone talks about science. Believe the science, trust the science, right? That's, we hear that all the time. Science, 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 science. And what we, what we are taught is people, uh, 
humans were stupid and they were dumb and, they believe, and that's why they believed in God, but now we're smart. And because we're smart now, now we don't believe in God. We just believe that the universe did it itself. And C.S. Lewis is gonna say, that's not true. We tend to look back on society as if the people who went before us were like just idiots or they were so stupid or they didn't know what they were talking about or they didn't. But he says, as long as there were human minds, there were people who held both of these views. There were people who held a religious view and there were people who held a naturalist view. Um, uh, we talked about cavemen. I, I, remember learning, I remember learning in school about cavemen and how blundering they were and how they were, they were, you know, they were raping and plundering and pillaging and beating people in the head with cave sticks or whatever, right? That's what they did. Um, but the, the funny thing is the only history we have from, quote, cavemen is the paintings that they left inside of caves. And how do I look at a painting in a cave and come to the conclusion that these people were rapists and pillaging and beating people? They drew pictures of horses in a wall, like on a wall. And we're like, these people were, they were savage. Yeah, they were so savage that they're painting in the thing. Like, um, no, no slam on my friends, but they're all artists. And um, all of my artist friends, they're artists. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't hurt someone if they wanted to hurt someone, right? It's like, um, so this whole idea that C.S. Lewis is trying to say is like, people have, as long as people have existed, there have been people who thought this is all there is, or there have been people who thought there's something more than what we have right now. Um, what he says here is science cannot answer the question of whether the materialist view or, the, natural, or the, uh, the, the religious view is correct. Science is observation. It is human observation. I pointed the telescope at this place and observed this thing. I put a vial of this stuff in that stuff and it did this thing. I, you know, it's, it's observation, it is study, it is looking at how things behave. But we're not looking, when we talk about the moral law, we're not observing humans for how they behave. We're looking at there's something that we're supposed to do that we don't do. It's, it's not just observation, like you drop a rock and it falls, but there's this thing inside of us of like, I'm supposed to be this way or do this thing, right? And he says, science can't answer why that's there. Science, what science can do is it can tell us how things are, but it cannot tell us why things are. Science can tell us how things are, but it can't tell us why things are. So he's going to conclude, C.S. Lewis is going to conclude that um, I have this feeling inside of me that I'm supposed to be obeying something and I don't do it. Where is that coming from? There must be something. Um, if, I, if I came, if I, you know, if I, um, if I have this feeling, there's got to be something there. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this, if there is a controlling power outside of the universe, it could not show itself to us as one of the facts inside the universe, no more than the architect of a house could actually be a wall or a staircase or fireplace in that house. The only way in which we could expect it to show itself would be inside us as an influence or a command trying to get us to behave in a certain way, and that's just what we do find inside us. Surely this ought to arouse our suspicions. So what's behind this moral law? C.S. Lewis is gonna say, we're not at the God of Christianity yet. Let's just say there's some mind, there's some being, there's some thing that is causing, that, that is behind this, that is causing us to feel like 
there's something I'm supposed to be living up to. There's some goodness or there's some thing that I'm supposed to be living up to. Here's the third thought today. And this, is, this one's really encouraging. Ready? We have cause to be uneasy. That's what he says. This is really encouraging. We have cause to be uneasy. Uh, I, I love this right here. Um, he said, some people might argue that I'm just trying to put a clock back. That we are getting away from morals and we're getting away from all that and you're trying to put a clock back. And he says, listen, sometimes the way to fix a clock that's incorrect is to put it back. Where do we get this idea of progress? Let me ask this question. What is progress? What is progress? Progress means getting nearer to the place that you want to be. That's what progress is. Listen to this quote. Listen intently. This will blow your mind. I love this. We all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. And if you've taken a wrong turning, uh, to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are in the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back the soonest is the most progressive man. There is nothing progressive about being pigheaded and refusing to admit a mistake. And I think if you look at the present state of the world, it's pretty plain that humility, uh, that humanity has been making some big mistake. We're on the wrong road. And if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way on. That's so good. Now, what we're not talking about is going back to other times in history where we have been wrong about how we've treated people or how we've done this or how we've done that. He's not talking about going back to a day and a time in history. He's talking going back to there is a right and wrong. There is a right and wrong. Progress is not leaving behind or trying to cover up or trying to ignore or trying to just, you know, up, there is no moral law. There is no moral truth. There is no, right? He's saying, man, progress is actually admitting, hey, I think I'm in the wrong place and turning back. I love what he says. The most progressive man is the one who turns back the soonest. That's so good. What are we turning back to? We're turning back to morality. We're turning back towards Christianity. We're turning back towards truth. Um, C.S. Lewis says, we're not even in the Bible yet. We're not even talking about the Bible yet. This is just natural reasoning. This is why, by the way, Paul, when in the Bible, Paul does say that people are without excuse because even before we've opened the Bible, we know that there's a right and wrong inside of us and we're not living up to it. Um, a couple more thoughts and we'll end with this. He says, we can learn a lot about a man by what he creates, but we can learn a lot more about him by what he says, listening to how he talks. And we can learn about who this God is or who this mind is by seeing what he creates. He creates a world and we can deduce by looking at the world that he's a beautiful artist. He's a beautiful, brilliant artist. Um, but, the, but by listening to that inner voice that is telling us right and wrong, we can learn about a God who is good. He said, by seeing the world, we can kind of learn what God likes to create. By, by listening to that inner voice that is telling us that's wrong, that's not right, you shouldn't do that, you should do that, we're actually getting to know that there's a God and that that God cares a lot about goodness. 
He cares about what is good. This God seems to care about good. Now, here's where it gets a little scary. If God is absolutely good, then on the one hand, he's the safest place to be. But on the other hand, he's the most terrifying place to be because I am not good. Listen to this. Lewis says this. He says, this is the fix that we are in. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all our efforts are in the long run hopeless. But if it is, then we are making ourselves enemy to that goodness every single day and are not in the least likely to do any better tomorrow. And so our case is hopeless again. We cannot do without it and we cannot do with it. God is the only comfort. He is, the, he is also the supreme terror. The thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally and we have made ourselves his enemies. Some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They are still only playing with religion. If there is this mind and if this mind is all good and we want to be good, then man, this place is the, this God is, or this mind or this goodness is the best place to be and the scariest place to be. Um, so let's recap just for a second. Number one, there is a moral law. Number two, there is a power behind that law. And number three, we as humans have broken that law and put ourselves at odds with the power behind the law. It's only when you realize this that we begin to listen to Christianity, is what Lewis says. Only when you realize that there is a law, that there is a lawgiver, and that we've broken the law, that you start to go, uh-oh, tell me more. How do I, like, okay, I realize, I realize that I am not right. I realize that I'm not in right standing. Now, how do I get to right standing? It's only when you're sick that you'll listen to the doctor. Come on, let's be, let's be real. You go to the doctor, the doctor's like, you're overweight, you need to lose weight. And you're like, eh, whatever, I'll find a new doctor. But then when you're sick and they say, hey, you need to lose weight, you need to change your diet, you're like, yep, I'll do it. It's only when we're sick that we actually listen to the doctor. And Lewis is gonna say, it's only when we accept that there is a law and that we've broken it that we start to go, wait a second, what's the fix here? What's the fix here? This is why Paul says you're without excuse. Listen to this. This is so good. And I want to end with this. Uh, we're not going to end on Jesus today. Wouldn't that, that's weird. We always end on Jesus. We're not going to end on Jesus today. We're going to get into Jesus in the next weeks. We're going to, we're going to follow what C.S. Lewis does. And we're going to go just through reason. We're going to get back to Christianity or what Chesterton says. We're going to try to bring the world back to Christianity. We're somewhere over in some weird place that we're calling Christianity, and it's not Christianity. We're going to bring people back to what it means to be a Christ follower. Who is Christ? What is the gospel? We're going to come back to Christianity. Um, I, I love this. C.S. Lewis says, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. Why are we doing this series? Because I don't want a church of despair. I don't want a world of despair. I don't want a world. What I see today is a lot of despair. What I see today is a lot of people grasping for comfort and ending in despair. And I think that the only way to get to real comfort, real peace, real truth 
is if we search for truth, God can bring us comfort. He can bring us mercy. He can bring us grace. We have to accept today, if I could just land this plane, we have to start today by going, there is a law, there is an ultimate good mind, a good power, a good thing that, 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 gave, that gave this law or is the model of this law. That is why good is good and bad is bad. It's because of this mind and I've broken the law. And when we start with that truth, now we can start getting closer to what is the answer. If we don't start with that truth, well, everyone's good. All people are good. Everything is great. Okay, great. Then you're searching for comfort and in the end, it'll end in despair. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna pray over you today. I hope this was fine today. Was this good? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, wanna, I wanna take us on a journey, August leading up to September, I wanna take us on a journey that, that um, uh, even as Christians, we become familiar again with what it means to be a Christian. So let me pray over you. God, I thank you so much for every person that's here today. I thank you that you have a purpose, you have a plan. We are not naturalist or materialist view that believes that the earth just has no purpose, it has no plan, there is nothing to it, there is no, no, we believe that there is a God and that he is good. And God, because we believe in you and because we believe you're good, we ask you today to, um, to lead us into all truth, guide us into all truth, guide us into your word, guide us into the place where we're not wandering around in the dark, the blind leading the blind, but we're walking in the truth of God, the goodness of God. Help us to get back to trusting you and believing you and serving you and understanding exactly what it is that we, that we mean when we say that Jesus died that we might have new life. Help us to understand ultimately what that means. We thank you for it, Jesus. We ask you to bless every person that's here today. In the name of Jesus, come on, everybody said amen. amen.